Hello, happy holidays, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 188. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me, back from the great beyond, is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, Chris! Howdy, Pete. How's the beard? Well, it's covered in snow. I see, I see. Well, at any rate, we are back once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo with some game impressions, some news, and our big topic, which this week is gaming holiday memories. First, though, we're going to kick things off with some game impressions, starting with a hat in time for Nintendo Switch. Oh yeah, this is one that fans seem to rave about. Yeah, people have been telling me about this game for quite some time, and it's a classic-style 3D platformer that came out on PC and other platforms about two years ago, but only arrived on Switch back in October, and then the physical version came out in November. So, yes, after hearing about this game for so long, I have finally gotten my mitts on it. And what are you thinking? Well, so far, I would say the game is pretty darn enjoyable. In this game, you play as Hat Girl, and true to her name, you wear many different hats, each with unique powers, and you swap between these hats to fight enemies and explore levels and solve puzzles as you travel through an assortment of worlds to find these hourglass-shaped timepieces that have exploded out of your spaceship. And Pete, if you're thinking, well, that really doesn't make any sense at all, well, (laughs) you are correct, but please don't worry about it. (laughs) Right. It's one of those games. Yes. Yes, it is. So, yeah, it's got all these hats in it. There are hats that let you dash. There are ones that let you throw explosives, ones that let you do a ground pound, reveal hidden objects, all kinds of things. You can also buy and equip badges that provide additional effects, such as attracting items, preventing fall damage, shooting a laser beam, pointing the way to nearby secrets, reducing hat time cooldown, because, yeah, there's a cooldown on some of your abilities, (laughs) and... Most importantly, a grappling hook, which becomes like a crucial play mechanic once you obtain it partway through the game. And really, it should have just been assigned to its own button and have nothing to do with the badges because you're never going to want to unequip that. I mean, honestly, the grappling might be the best play mechanic in the game. I mean, it often is. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in addition to all that stuff, you can jump, you can use melee attacks, you can air dash, you can use a jumping homing attack. So it's pretty much got all the stuff you would want out of a platformer as far as your moveset goes. Ah, sounds cool. And of course, there are also plenty of collectibles to nab everywhere, and there's also a nice variety of themed worlds. Chapter 1 is Mafia Town, which is sort of a traditional Mario-esque island town that reminds me a lot of Super Mario Sunshine, you know, if it were overrun by the Mafia. (laughs) All right. Chapter 2 is this movie studio that incorporates a whole bunch of stealth elements in with the platforming. Oh, by the way, it's a movie studio run by birds. (laughs) Chapter 3 is a horror-themed forest. And then Chapter 4 is this huge free-roaming mountain region with distinct areas separated by zip lines. And whereas most worlds are broken into distinct episodes with a timepiece at the end of each one, Chapter 4 is like this total open-world sandbox. So all these levels are quite well designed from what I've played for the most part. In addition to the standard levels, there are these so-called time rifts that appear in each world and take you to these pure platforming stages, again, reminiscent of some of the stuff you could play in Super Mario Sunshine or maybe in Super Mario Odyssey. I'm probably only halfway through the game, but so far there seems to be plenty of variety, and of course there's stuff like boss fights as well. Cool, so it sounds like you're enjoying this thing. Yeah, I definitely am. The game seems very solid overall, but I do have to admit there are a few flies in the ointment, you could say. 
First of all, it has some pretty gnarly load times. <laughs> if you lose a life, you can like go make yourself a sandwich or something. <laughs> uh, the initial load times are bad, and then you know when you have to respawn, it's pretty bad as well. I have to say, I don't think I've ever heard the words gnarly and load time in the same sentence, uh, maybe ever. <laughs> well, hopefully I can earn a cookie or something. <laughs> But also, the game just kind of starts out pretty rough. Like, at first, you don't have your melee attack, but if you try to attack, you sort of throw a punch, and then your character sort of becomes unresponsive, and you sort of just dance around and get stuck for a bit, and then you probably get <laughs> hit a couple of times by an enemy, and it's pretty frustrating. Sounds like you're describing Urban Champion. <laughs> it's no Urban Champion, but <laughs> yeah, early on, just things kind of feel a little bit janky, and it feels like the game is punishing you for trying to explore and stray from the main path. Which, you know, is kind of what makes these kinds of games fun. So once you get past those first couple levels, or once you learn not to do that, you know, especially after you get the grappling hook in World 3, then the game becomes much more user-friendly and enjoyable. But yeah, at first, you know, just for that first stage, or maybe first two stages, it does feel a bit like a mess. If you're able to get past that, though, yes, you do have a pretty darn fun 3D platformer waiting for you. All right, cool. So you would recommend this one to me or someone else? Well, I think I would definitely recommend to anybody who's in for a good classic-style 3D platformer. I'm certainly enjoying it so far. Between all of the different hats and badges and the grappling hook, you have a lot of abilities at your disposal, which means lots of opportunities for good platforming and good puzzles, which is pretty much exactly what I would want from a game like this. I mean, it's definitely no Mario. You can tell that this is a crowdfunded game, not a first-party platformer. But as far as these indie types of 3D classic style platformers go, you know, I would say this is probably one that's your best bet. Compared to something like Ukulele, I think, so far, this is the better game. Oh, wow. You know, I haven't really played Super Lucky's Tale yet, but yeah, if you're looking for a 3D platformer, I would say this would certainly scratch that itch. As long as you can look past that rough start and those long load times, yeah, this is a pretty darn good game, and you can pick it up for only 30 bucks for the digital version. That's pretty cool. So yeah, this game has been a long time coming, but I'd say pretty much worth the wait. Um, is it true that a hat in time saves nine? Uh, I don't know if it saves nine, but probably at least five. <laughs> All right. Okay, then. Moving along, I've been playing another new game on Switch. This one is Stein's Gate, My Darling's Embrace. <laughs> did you have anything to do with the naming of this one? No, no, I certainly did not. And in fact, I didn't even know this game was coming out. It really got dropped out of nowhere and just land in players' laps. And, you know, as a big fan of Steins Gate, I was like, what the heck is this? I had no idea this game was coming, so I was very eager to jump in and try it out. <laughs> and what it is, is a spin-off of the original Steins Gate. It is still a visual novel, but it's more of an alternate reality what-if side story. It's kind of like Steins Gate Gaiden or something like that, if you will. <laughs> and it is basically a romantic comedy digital novel. It is much less dramatic and not as full of angst as the original Steins Gate, and it really doesn't focus much on the time travel aspect. But it does let you get to know more about the characters and their relationships. I was expecting it to be some sort of really goofy dating sim almost, but it actually fits in pretty well with the original game. It picks up a short ways into that story before everything got super serious, and it borrows very heavily from that game's play mechanics. 
All right. So if you were going to just play one, would you still recommend the original? Oh, you definitely have to play the original before you play anything else <laughs> in the series. You know, if you haven't played the original, you will jump into this. You'll be like, you know, what the heck is going on? Because <laughs> like I said, it is, you know, definitely a lot goofier than the main game. And, you know, what happens in this one is the lead characters, Okabe and Kurisu, they accidentally put on these bracelets that require them to stay in close proximity to each other and hold hands or somehow otherwise get along or else it administers electric shocks. (laughs) And so, of course, you know, both characters are pretty tsundere, and so you can imagine where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. Naturally, being a visual novel, there are other branching paths, and so you can see how Okabe ends up forming close relationships with other members of the lab instead. But again, like the original, it does use those distinctive cell phone play mechanics where, you know, you get messages on your phone and how you answer those affects your relationship with other characters. Mm. Presumably, you're going to have to make some sort of, you know, crazy specific series of answers if you want to see the best ending. But I don't know. I've only played through two routes so far. So it seems almost like a nice companion piece to the original. Yes, very much. I would say that is very much the case. You know, if you do like the original, if you like those characters and you want to see more of them, but in different, perhaps sillier situations, such as like trying to play in a band to earn money to keep the lab open, then you will probably like this game. (laughs) Sounds kind of quirky and fun. Yeah, it is pretty quirky. But, you know, there are, again, some downsides. You know, it's a lot shorter than the original Steins Gate or even Steins Gate Zero, which also just came out on Switch. Mm. You know, both of those games took like, you know, maybe 30 hours to get through the main story. And this probably takes only 10 or less. Also, while the script is generally good, it does have a lot of typos, you know, as you might expect from a game with tons and tons and tons of text. But yeah, it does have plenty of typos. And for some reason, the text line breaks on apostrophes and other punctuation marks. Which was in the no, <laughs> yeah, which was in the original Steins Gate on other platforms, but they fixed it for the Elite version that came out on Switch earlier this year. But now it is back and as annoying as ever. Like you know, <laughs> this is a visual novel. You know, the two most important things are the visuals and the text. <laughs> and you know, if something about your text flow is just fundamentally broken like that, it's like man. How do you let that persist across multiple years and multiple platforms and multiple games and not fix it? So that is pretty frustrating. Yeah, that sounds like a tragic flaw. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I mean, I would love to say, oh, I hope they patch it. But considering that I don't think they ever fixed it for the other (laughs) previous Steinsgate games, I don't exactly have my hopes up for that. Yeah, makes sense. However, you know, that aside, as a Steinsgate fan, I do like it. As I said, if you haven't played the series at all, Go play Steins Gate Elite instead. It's been on sale a lot recently. But yeah, if you are already a fan, this is a nice little spinoff, despite that one little frustration. And I would say absolutely worth the price of 30 bucks. Okay, then. I might just have to pick it up. Well, just make sure you pick up the original game first. Okay. All right. That takes care of our game impressions, so we are going to move along to a little bit of news. So the first item in the news this week is that we got an update on the release of Shantae and the Seven Sirens for Switch. And, in full disclosure, I would mention that, yes, I am still doing work for WayForward. But, yeah, WayForward has announced that this game, the fifth entry in the Shantae series, has a new release window of Spring 2020 on Switch. You know, the first part of this game is already playable on Apple Arcade, 
And so far, it's great. Pete, have you been following this at all? Are you looking forward to this entry in the series? Have you played the Apple Arcade version by any chance? You know, I haven't, but I do like Shantae now, so I could see myself being interested in this title. Yeah, well, from what I've played of the Apple Arcade version, it is shaping up to be really, really good. It really feels like the developers have managed to pretty much combine all the best aspects of the past titles in the Shantae series. It has a big interconnected Metroid-like world. <laughs> it has instant transformation, so the gameplay is a lot like Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, which is certainly a fan favorite. Yep. And then it has modern HD visuals, a lot like Half-Genie Hero. Very cool. And then on top of that, it's also got multiple towns, multiple dungeons, a lot of brand new characters, a lot of returning characters, fully animated cutscenes, new minigames. You know, so far from playing what's available on Apple Arcade, I've learned to turn into a newt for climbing walls <laughs> and what they call a gastro drill for burrowing through dirt. You know, I don't know anything more about the game. I've just been playing it on Apple Arcade with a PS4 controller, so I don't have any special insights beyond that. But yeah, so far, I am really, really enjoying the game, and I cannot wait for the Switch version when it comes out in spring. Yeah, that definitely is on my radar now. Yeah, it's shaping up to be pretty cool. Another interesting bit of news that came out of Nintendo. They announced that Luigi's Mansion 3 is going to have some paid DLC. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of puzzling, right? Well, I certainly wasn't expecting it, and it really didn't feel necessary. It seemed like such a robust, complete game, but uh, nonetheless, it is on the way. Yeah, it's pretty much all multiplayer-focused, and it's coming in two parts. Part one adds three new minigames to Scream Park mode, and I don't think Nintendo's really explained what all these new minigames are about, but if you look at the image they released, first you see a room full of balls painted to look like giant fruit. Then there's also a rideable rubber ducky that seems precariously positioned near a waterfall. And then there's a room with dice that kind of looks like a mini board game. <laughs> and then on top of that, there are three new floor themes, new themed ghosts, and new outfits for Luigi in Scarescraper mode. Those outfits being a mummy, a knight, and then what I believe is Disco Luigi, <laughs> or possibly an Elvis impersonator Luigi. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. It's pretty goofy either way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so that is supposed to be coming out first, and then we're going to get part two, which is basically the same thing. Three new minigames for Scream Park, three new themes and costumes for Scarescraper mode, but they haven't given out any specifics on that yet. Also, if you buy this, you get a special Polterpup flashlight that shines a Polterpup shape on the walls whenever you use your flashlight, and that's usable both in story mode and in scarescraper mode. Sounds like pretty cool features for people that uh, utilize multiplayer in Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to expand on a great game, but you know the timing on this is so weird. They just start promoting it now, but it doesn't hit for months. Part one is supposed to be out like sometime before April 30th of next year, and then part two comes out sometime before July 31st of next year. So it's like, Whoa. you know, I would think they would either have announced this when the game came out, like, hey, here's stuff coming down the road, or they would announce it close to release. But now it's just like, well, what the heck? Why would they do this? Right. You know, like right in the middle of nowhere. Maybe are they trying to get holiday sales somehow? Because I guess you can pre-order it right now. So you can get that polter pup, I think. But uh, yeah, it is kind of curious. Yeah, I think you're onto something. I think that uh, they must be trying to muster up some additional sales, you know, from somebody who might be on the fence about Luigi's Mansion. 
yeah, very well could be. Anyway, I'm not sure how much I really need more multiplayer content for this game. I really haven't delved into the multiplayer aspect of it at all. But it's only 10 bucks. So for that price, I could certainly see myself doing it just to sort of have a complete game. And again, this game is just so good, I'm very happy to see more content coming in any way, shape, or form. So I'd say there's a good chance I'm going to get this. What about you? You know, I'd have to think about it. I think for me, it's probably going to be an impulse buy, if anything. So uh, <laughs> I guess we'll see. All right. Well, you have several months to figure it out. <laughs> That's good, I think. Hey, uh, Chris, have you seen that Nintendo Switch year in review they did on Nintendo.com? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got the email about that. Sure. You? Yeah, I did. I was thinking it might be kind of interesting to compare notes. <laughs> okay. All right. Sure thing. Let's go ahead. Well, what were your most played Switch games of 2019? Okay, my most played Switch games, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Final Fantasy VII, mm. Steins Gate Elite, which, in fairness, I probably spent half the time I was playing that actually asleep, and I just dozed off and was just running all <laughs> night long. All right. AI, The Somnium Files. All right. And the Switch version of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy. Wow. Nice. So what about you? I was really expecting Panty Party to be on there. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> For me, I've got Wargroove. Mm -hmm. I've got Nintendo Entertainment System, Nintendo Switch Online. Oh, nice. I guess I played a lot of that. Dragon's Dogma. Oh, okay. Dark Arisen. I should play more of that. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. No surprise. And this one kind of surprised me. Trials Rising. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I put a lot of time into that, trying to unlock stuff. So I guess so. More time than I expected. So speaking of time, how many hours did you spend and how many games did you play? Oh, man. You're probably going to poop all over this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I spent 222 hours playing and I played 59 games. Uh-huh. For me, it was... 824 hours. Cheesy peasy. And 74 games. Man. Well, I feel like my uh, games to hours ratio is pretty good, but you've got me beating the hours department. <laughs> yep, that's just how it goes. And then I'm just curious, what month was your busiest month for gaming? It looks like I was pretty much tied for March and October, both with 102 hours. But uh, according to what Nintendo says my busiest days were June 18th, <laughs> January 20th, and March 6th. So uh, when you take that into account, I'm going to say it was March. <laughs> For me, it was January by a landslide, which kind of makes sense because I usually, you know, hole up like a hermit during those dark winter <laughs> months. So, Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And I spent uh, 60 hours that month, and January 26th, January 3rd, and April 6th being my busiest gaming days. Okay. All right. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of curious what other people's busiest months and top five games are. Yeah, if anyone else wants to share, feel free to send it along. Sweet. Pretty cool that Nintendo did that. It's a little bit of a, like, kind of what Spotify was doing, and everybody keeps posting everywhere, but I like it, and keep it up. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I like it, and it was interesting to see my stats, and yeah, it was kind of a neat thing for them to do and get people talking. Mm-hmm. Like us. Indeed. <laughs> All right, let us move along now and answer a little bit of listener mail. We've got a little bit of feedback here from our Best of DS episode from a couple weeks back. 
First up, we have a comment via Twitter from at Nintendude underscore 64. He wrote, So glad you guys gave Elite Beat Agents the crown. Nintendo Power sold me on the game back in the day, and it has always been my favorite on the DS. Such an underrated gem. Really wish we could have gotten sequels here in America. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Elite Beat Agents is a gem. Yep, and it's definitely too bad about those sequels. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, no kidding. Then we have another Twitter comment here from at Strawbecky underscore 81. <laughs> Strawbecky. And she wrote, Great episode as always. I was surprised to see that 999 was ranked in the mid-teens. Phoenix Wright and 999 are my personal top two. Yeah, those are both classics in right up your alley, eh, Hoff? Yes, definitely. Clearly, she's a person of good taste. <laughs> Indeed. Then we got a letter from our good friend Brian Booth, who wrote, You guys knocked it out of the park again. I can think of a few better games than some of the ones you mentioned, but I can't think of any that better exemplify what made the DS such a unique system to design for and to play. And there are some great picks on the list. Hoff has had the greatness of Elite Beat Agents before, and I was fortunate enough to pick up a copy for $5 at GameStop on Black Friday. So I'm finally experiencing it firsthand, and it definitely lives up to the hype. I'm looking forward to the Christmas level. <laughs> as much of a Zelda fan as I am, I wasn't disappointed that Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks are left off the list. They're not bad games by any means, but they are a low point of the series for sure. Spirit Tracks still has one of the best overworld themes ever, though. I wanted to give a quick plug. I'm going to be a guest this month on episode of the VG Embassy, a video game music podcast. It's actually launching on December 6th, so it should already be up by the time you air your next episode. Hmm. Yeah, glad to hear that somebody's picking up Elite Beat Agents, even if it's way after the fact. I know, man. It's never too late to pick it up, though. Yeah, great to go back and re-experience that classic for sure. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. We really didn't get anybody complaining that we left Zelda off the list or that we left the, all the Pokemon games off the list. So yeah, man, we dodged that bolt, didn't we? <laughs> Phew. We definitely were like, uh, maybe we shouldn't do that. But, you know, in the end, quality wins out. <laughs> Again, like you said, though, not that they're bad games, just, you know, so much other stuff. Anyway, that does it for our letters for this week, so let's close up the mailbag. And now I think it's time for us to take an intermission, and then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite holiday gaming memories. Pete, are you going to interrupt me or what? <laughs> hey, hey, whoa, you know what time it is. Time to... Tell me what time it is. Hassle the Hoth. Right, right. Okay, what do you got for me this week? <laughs> Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? What is your favorite winter level in any video game ever? The clock is ticking. Huh, that's kind of a tough question, Pete, because you know, I think I have a couple answers that are ready to go, but they would be games that never actually appeared on Nintendo systems. You know, I'd probably say something like Christmas Nights for the Sega Saturn or something like that. Hmm. But, you know, talking about stuff that was on Nintendo systems, I mean, one thing that would be easy to bring up would be, once again, that Christmas stage in Elite Beat Agents. And I know we just sort of <laughs> talked about that a whole bunch on a recent episode. We're kind of beating a dead horse here. But obviously that stage was phenomenal and, uh, you know, kind of emotional and heartbreaking. So that certainly is a strong contender. Yep, yep. Also, part of me wants to say, and this isn't necessarily a winter-themed level, but the fourth act in Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney is set at Christmas time, ah. and 
even though it doesn't do a whole lot with the Christmas theme, you know, one of the characters is dressed up as Santa, <laughs> and it is very crucial to the plot that it's taking place on Christmas Eve and on Christmas itself. Yeah. And it is such a great game that I'm kind of inclined to say that. All right. And then, and this is going to be a weird one. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. I kind of just want to say Batman Returns for the Super NES. Oh, man, that's a good one. I mean, if you remember the movie, it is set around Christmas time. That's right. And, you know, there's, like, parts where, like, you know, bad guys come bursting out of giant gift boxes and stuff right. and wreak havoc on the town. And all of that is perfectly recreated in the Super NES game. <laughs> and, you know, there's lots of snow. There's lots of exploding gift boxes and things. Yeah. You know, there's a giant Christmas tree in the first stage. And it has just such great fun and beat-em-up action. And, again, it really doesn't have that much to do with the fact it's a Christmas setting. But, you know, it's just so fun to grab two clowns and smack their heads together or throw them through a window or something like that. I mean, you know, it's all in the holiday spirit, of course. <laughs> so I just like that game so much. I'm kind of inclined to go with Batman Returns. But, again, Weepied Agents and Phoenix Wright are right up there. So it could really be any of those three, if that's cool with you. Um, yeah, we'll accept that answer. Okay. All right. I am glad you approve. <laughs> Nicely done. I completely forgot about Batman Returns, but you're right. That is a pretty fun beat-em-up that does take place in the winter. Yeah, I don't know why people always bring up Die Hard as the Christmas movie when you have movies like Batman Returns and Gremlins out there. I don't know. <laughs> Gremlins is almost nightmarish <laughs> for being a Christmas movie, but that's a topic for another time. Indeed, indeed. All right. With that taken care of, we will take our intermission, and then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite holiday gaming memories. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite holiday gaming memories. As we are recording this, the holiday season is right upon us. You know, tis the season and all that, so we're not going to do anything too heavy for this week's big topic. We're just going to kick back, grab a nice glass of milk, and reminisce about some of our favorite gaming memories from years gone by. I like eggnog this time of year, maybe with a little milk in it, but... Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Mm. I know what you mean. <laughs> but, yeah, we're getting way into the way back machine for this. We're going to go back, oh, I don't know, I guess about 30, a little more than 30 years, maybe, to talk about some of these memories, eh? Yeah, we're getting to be old there, Hoff. <laughs> yep. Speak for your beard, man. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Let's start off by jumping to that machine and going all the way back to the year 1987, because I understand you have a fond memory from that time. 
I do. You know, I think one thing that stood out to me when you were asking me about this big topic was, you know, I remember getting the NES for Christmas when I was eight. Yeah, I vividly remember seeing the package wrapped up and I was pretty certain that that was going to be an NES. But, you know, you never know. As a kid, you're like, it's a big box. I hope Mm -hmm. it is what I'm thinking it is. Right, right. I even had a neighbor who had seen the console in a box before. (laughs) Uh And he came over just to try to help me verify that it was roughly the same size. (laughs) Nice. Which I can't imagine was any measure of, like, accurate. (laughs) But it helped me feel better about myself. And when I found out what it was, when I opened it, I was ecstatic, you know? Yeah, I'll bet. A few days later, it was confirmed as the president of my dreams, you know, after I'd been verified by my friend. And, you know, I basically did the Nintendo 64 kid thing, but, you know, my (laughs) version of that. And the rest is history. I became a giant Nintendo fan for life. Yeah, and so what version of the NES was this? Did this include any robots or anything like that? Yeah, it did, actually. It was the version with Rob. All right. And I also had Gyromite mm-hmm. and some Duck Hunt. Yes. So did you get anything else with it, or was it just those two games? You were just uh, robotting and zapping it up for the time being. <laughs> yeah, and I believe I had the original Mario Brothers with it as well. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, and I remember thinking, at first I didn't think it was that fun, but it actually ended up being really fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I went to the store shortly thereafter and ended up, purchasing super mario brothers yeah that's where it really starts and that was where yeah it really got the hooks in me okay right on well for me personally i did not get the nes as a christmas gift it was you know a collaboration between me and my brother we all pooled our money (laughs) along with other family members and were able to get the nes so when uh christmas of 1988 rolled around. That was the first year that I had an NES. Nice. And of course, that was also the year of the fabled NES chip shortage. Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, it was also the year that Zelda 2 was supposed to come out. That's right. And, you know, I wasn't like a huge fan of the original Zelda at the time, but, you know, I saw everything about Zelda 2. Oh, now it's side-scrolling. Oh, it looked so much up my alley. I was so excited for it. You know, I was really hoping I was going to get that game. But due to this said chip shortage, the game kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And, I mean, in reality, the first Zelda had only been out for, like, a year and a half. But as a kid, you know, it's like we expect sequels are going to come out, like, you know, two months after the first game or whatever. And so it felt like it had been forever but uh, you know chip shortage this and that now it's probably not coming out until early 1989 so i got to my last christmas present i opened it up and yes it was zelda 2 and i was just amazed because (laughs) you know there was no internet back then you didn't really get your gaming news from places other than nintendo power or whatever right and so i had never seen the game in stores i didn't know it had actually come out at all you know, I'd been looking over those pages in, you know, like issue four of Nintendo Power. And of course, you know, everything that was written in the official NES player's guide that came out like way before the game did. Right. But, you know, I did not have any evidence that the game had been released. So I was absolutely <laughs> floored, just blown away that I got this game. You know, my mom picked it up at Sears or something. And I don't care what anybody says. I love that game. <laughs> Rightfully so. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it kicked my butt upside down and sideways, and, you know, I spent hours grinding on puny slimes just to level up. But yeah, (laughs) I loved it, 
I loved it then. I still love it today. In my opinion, it is the most underrated Zelda game. Uh, oh, also, you know, on top of getting Zelda 2, my brothers each got a NES game as well. My brother Matt got the officially licensed by Nintendo version of Gauntlet, which is a great oh, two-player co-op game. Yeah. yeah, of course. And that was before the publisher had a falling out with Nintendo and their license was revoked and they had to have those you know cheap, flimsy-feeling black cartridges. But yeah, this was the real deal with the official Nintendo seal of quality. And of course, we all know that that means a lot. Oh, yes. Published by Tengen. Yes. And then my brother Andrew got Wizards and Warriors, which is, of course, a medieval game made by Rare. And both those titles were pretty great as well. Oh, man. Not as good as Zelda 2, but still, <laughs> between those three games, that was tons of fun. And yeah, I actually still own all three of those NES cartridges to this day. That's awesome. And Wizards and Warriors is definitely one of my like cult classic favorites on the NES. Yeah, yeah, it's just too bad that we're like never going to get that game in any collection or anything because of all of the stuff that went on between Rare and Nintendo and Microsoft and all that. It seems like it's a complete lost classic, but uh, yeah, that was a great one. I remember when finding out that that was Rare at some point, you know, much later after they had been famous from GoldenEye and things like that. <laughs> I remember thinking like having my mind blown because they made one of my favorite games on the NES. Yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, I can almost imagine you opening Zelda 2 on Christmas morn and hearing, -na -na -na. <laughs> Yep, pretty much. That was pretty much how it went. <laughs> awesome. We're going to continue chronologically here. So my next memory comes from the following year, 1989. Pete, you don't have any uh, memories to share from that year, do you, right? <laughs> nope. Yeah, so that was another you know, very memorable year for me. And there were two reasons for that, two games to be specific. Uh, first of all, I received DuckTales, the platformer from Capcom. Nice. Yeah. I had never played that game before. I had zero interest in the DuckTales TV show, but, you know, I had seen it in Nintendo Power. I knew it was from Capcom. I knew that it looked sort of like Mega Man games, maybe kind of a little bit. <laughs> so I was pretty happy to get it. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that... I got Iron Sword, Wizards and Warriors 2. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, I don't know why Wizards and Warriors is such a key element in my <laughs> uh, holiday gaming memories, but uh, yeah, there it is. But yeah, that is a game I've been waiting for to come out for at least a year. I mean, this is another one that I don't think I realized it actually come out, but I had seen it in magazines for the longest time. I remember even seeing it like on some 2020 news special about the NES craze, like, you know, a whole year before. And I was, you know, really looking forward to the game. As I mentioned, I really liked the original Wizards and Warriors. And so I was super thrilled to finally have Iron Sword in my hands. And again, this is one that my parents like sort of hid away and saved for the very end. So I got this I'm like, all right, Iron Sword, finally. And of course, Fabio was on the box. So there was that as well. <laughs> I was going to say that one looked exceptionally a lot like a Conan the Barbarian ad. <laughs> yep. Yep. Totally. Fabio himself. But you know, here's the thing. You know, once I actually started playing the games, I wasn't entirely sure what to think because, you know, I started playing Iron Sword and it was good, but not quite as good as I had hoped. And it was surprisingly difficult. Like the first Wizards of Warriors, you know, has some challenge, but it also has infinite continuous. You can just keep trying over and over and over again. Right. But Iron Sword, yeah, it kind of kicks your butt pretty good. And to this day, I have never beaten the final boss without cheating. 
<laughs> but yeah, if that game hadn't had a password system, I never would have made it even that far. And as for DuckTales, I had a really hard time using that pogo jump at first. Just for me, jumping and then pressing down and B together, it was just more than my tiny little mind could handle at the time. <laughs> and so I found that going to be really frustrating at first. And I sure. was like, oh, man, I think I might you know, trade it in with a friend or something like this. <laughs> Because it was uh, kind of irritating me pretty quickly. Man, little Hoff would have been so sad. <laughs> well, the good news is that I ended up getting sick. Yeah. And I was bedridden for a bit, and so I wasn't playing or trading in anything. And while I was sick, my brother started playing, and he figured out you know how to play it properly and started getting good and started enjoying it. And so when I got better, I thought, well... First of all, if my brother's good at this game, I have to be better than he is. And if he's liking it, then I'm probably going to like it too. And, you know, I'm very, very glad I did because it ended up turning into another one of my all-time favorites. So, yeah. yeah, that was certainly a memorable year for me. I would probably still make fun of you if you'd done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been sad. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, those are classics, man. All right, let's move along to 1990. All right. Well, for me, yeah, I mean, it's not so much about a game so much as it was, I feel like, about the person I was playing with. Fair. And, you know, I just remember getting, in 1990, I think Dr. Mario had come out sometime in the summer. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting it for Christmas. And it wasn't, you know, maybe the most requested game that I wanted. <laughs> but. Yeah, I can see that. It's a puzzle game. has Mario in it. Like, how can you really go wrong? And um, I just remember playing just, like, endless rounds with my mom over the holiday break yeah that was one of the highlights of the games that had uh, two-player competitive mode that's right and just playing over and over i don't think i owned tetris on nes so i think that this was really the first like two-player competitive puzzle game that also uh, tetris didn't have a two-player mode so oh yeah thanks <laughs> uh, i thought one version did but maybe i'm wrong yeah the tengen one did the unlicensed one that's super right, rare right and, you know hard to get that we won't talk about <laughs> but yeah, so this was my first taste of multiplayer. Now, granted, Game Boy had a link cable, but, you know, we didn't own two Game Boys. So right, right. playing multiplayer Tetris with my mom just wasn't happening. But Dr. Mario, it was. And I just remember that being a super fun time. And, you know, she was a great sparring partner. She was really good at Tetris. So this, like, translated very well. And I just remember feeling elated when I could beat her. <laughs> and, you know, it's just funny. It's like funny how video games kind of connect you to people. And mm -hmm. with that one in particular, I just remember really having some fun. And, yeah, I'll always remember that about uh, my mom. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, you're totally right. It is a great way to uh, connect with friends and family, for sure. Totally. And uh, she was a, a heck of a video game player, just in general, not just uh, puzzle games. But yeah, I remember she helped me get to the end of Zelda 2. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so we would tag team old NES games together. Right on. For the record, my mom did not help me get through the end of Zelda 2. <laughs> well, I never beat it, <laughs> so I can't say she helped me beat the game, but we did get real close. Fair enough. So I feel like at some point I'll have to beat Zelda 2 for her. Okay. All right, well... I have a memory from 1990 as well. It's probably not as uh, strong as that one is. But, you know, there were a couple great games I received under the tree that year. But, you know, the thing is that that year there were not really any major surprises. Nothing really caught me off guard like Zelda 2 or Wizards of Warriors 2 did. Yeah, what made this year fun for me was simply the quality of the good games. It was 
Mega Man 3 and TMNT 2, the arcade game, mm-hmm. which both came out in late 1990. I wanted those games super badly. My parents knew how much I wanted them. And, you know, so the hardest part for me was just seeing them in the stores for like a month or two and not being able to play this. I mean, a new Mega Man game comes out and I'm not able to play it. Oh, my gosh. That was the worst. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just had to wait until Christmas morning. And lo and behold, I got both of those games. And, you know, that was just fantastic. I love them both. I just had a great time, you know, spending pretty much all of Christmas Day, you know, defeating all of the robot masters in Mega Man 3 and then being the crap out of foot soldiers in TMNT 2. So, yeah, for me, it really was all about the games that year. Two really, really good ones on the NES. Yeah, those are truly classics. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of ridiculous to look back and see how many classics just like came out every year. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You are absolutely right about that. Moving along to 1991 then, this was probably my biggest video game holiday season ever. Because that year, that was when I got the Super NES. Mm -hmm. It was the first and only time that I ever received a game console as a present. And of course, it wasn't just the system that I got. It came with Super Mario World, which is one of the best platformers ever made. Right. In fact, at the time, I would say it absolutely was the best platformer ever made. <laughs> and, you know, it actually still might be the best platformer ever made. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, you know, on top of that, I also got two other Super NES games. I got the side-scrolling shooter Gradius 3 from Konami, and I got Capcom's classic beat-em-up Final Fight. And, of course, those games are both fantastic <laughs> as well. I mean, Final Fight, of course, that is one of my all-time favorites. I'm always talking about it on here. And, you know, I love the game in the arcade, and getting to play it at home was amazing, even if not all of the arcade content was included. (laughs) But, you know, it had these huge characters. It had, you know, pretty much, you know, a perfect recreation of the arcade action. Right. Roast chicken in a can. Yeah, roast chickens, pile drivers, mustaches. What more could you want? And then Gradius 3 was, you know, super challenging, but lots of fun. And it has one of the greatest soundtracks ever. You know, that was back in the day when I could actually tolerate dodging, you know, 500 bullets at once. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that was a really excellent game on the Super NES. Although I suppose it was made a lot easier by the fact that when there were that many projectiles on the screen, the Super NES would like slow to a crawl so you could (laughs) dodge between them. So I guess there was that. Right. But yeah, so here I was. At Christmas 1991, just switching back and forth between Super Mario World and Final Fight and Gradius 3. You know, here's some Yoshi. Here's a barbecue roast in a trash can. Here's a (laughs) giant flaming space dragon. And, you know, all the games were so good. And I was just loving every minute of it. And, you know, I just could not thank my parents enough for getting me the Super NES and those games. It was such a blast. Yeah, those were the days. The Super Nintendo definitely had a heyday of just amazing games that came out like that. Yep, absolutely. Well, any more memories for you? Yeah, so my next one is in Christmas 1992. Okay. So I remember getting some, you know, great presents, but what I really, really wanted, I remember more than anything that Christmas, was Street Fighter Two. Ah, excellent. A fine game. A fine game indeed. Of course, that had come out on the console, and I knew it existed. Mm-hmm, yep, came out over the summer. And I definitely had played plenty of it in the arcades. And the fact that it was on Super Nintendo and rumored to be a near 
arcade perfect version of the game mm-hmm. now i say that you know by today's standard that's probably not true but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah for back then you know it was close enough that's for sure it really was so basically i'd opened up all my presents and no street fighter 2 to be had ah. and i basically had given up then you know shortly after we'd opened presents my sister was like hey come up to my room for a second and so I go up there, and what do I find but another present that wasn't under the tree. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, she had bought me my very own copy of Street Fighter Two. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was, like, over the moon. I remember brushing up as much as I could because I knew <laughs> once I left Christmas, the following week I'd be joining friends that would want to, you know, try to own me at it. <laughs> so uh, it required me putting some serious time in trying to figure out who my main was going to be oh yeah who ended up being ken okay which i feel like everyone picks ryu but ken for some reason i gravitated towards i went undefeated with ken on the super nes version for a long long time nice yeah and then you know the one thing that stuck out to me about that game was that you know you'd play single player and eventually the computer would just get to some difficulty level where you just couldn't beat him Mm-hmm. And then I read some article recently about how Capcom basically put this like code in so like every round it just got harder <laughs> until the point where like you basically couldn't beat it. Well, playing on eight star difficulty was no joke. Yeah. Anyway, at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> but yeah, that's Street Fighter 2. I remember just really, really being ecstatic about owning that. And, you know, in some ways, I still think of Street Fighter 2 as maybe being one of the best video games ever, if not the best video game ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely way up there for sure. And that one for Christmas definitely left an impression. Yeah, that's awesome. And a very generous gift from a sibling for sure. Yeah, I got lucky and my uh, siblings were considerably older than me, so they had jobs and stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. That definitely helped. And I was just a, you know, bum kid, so. <laughs> yeah, my brother was only get me like, you know, garbage pail kids or something. <laughs> right. I was 13 and I think, let me see, my sister would have been like... 21 yeah so ah okay yeah yep that makes sense <laughs> did you fight her in street fighter 2 oh no 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 she, i don't think she ever even tried it <laughs> okay but she just knew she knew how much i wanted it pretty good on her for figuring that out and buying it yeah for sure especially back then they didn't sell games hardly anywhere very cool sounds like a good old time <laughs> so yeah i guess that pretty much does it for our favorite holiday gaming memories. I mean, those certainly aren't the only times I got video games for gifts or anything. Sure. You know, I got Final Fantasy III as a Christmas gift a few years later. But as far as ones that really stand out and ones that really resonate with me and ones that I can still remember very, very clearly, even to this day, those are pretty much the highlights for me. Yeah, that pretty much puts a bow on it. <laughs> All right. That makes me just want to kick back, fire up the old uh, NES and Super NES and... Uh, fight foot soldiers uh, all night long (laughs) nothing puts me in the christmas spirit quite like foot soldiers you know yep nothing like jump kicking a foot soldier in the face (laughs) yeah all right with that said i think that takes care of this week's big topic which means it's time for us to wrap up this week's episode of the show but you know before we do that i think there is time for one more thing and that is a dramatic reading man i'm hoping this one is christmas themed it's not sorry But this is the eShop description of the Switch game, Mahjong Puzzle Paisen. Mahjong? Puzzle? Both are correct. (laughs) 
new Mahjong puzzle specializing in the unique game. The rules are simple. Slide the Mahjong tiles divided into the upper, middle, and lower parts to the left and right, and connect the ridges vertically and horizontally. <laughs> Choose the connected pots and add them to your hand. Make a roll and earn points. Play tips. Various roles are combined like real Mahjong. Let's aim high score while thinking carefully. <laughs> Leave a useful bag. You can aim at the roll of high difficulty <laughs> by getting it together later. If it is difficult to see the roses, sort them by type and make them easy to see. The upper row and the lower row are separated, so there is no connection. Use the middle stage well. Let's drop the upper stage and let the chopsticks connect. <laughs> the bonus is increased each time the number of twins increases. The score will increase enormously by accumulating even a small roll. Ranking mode. Compete with users across the country for unlimited time to jams. <laughs> the ranking is reset weekly. Keep on hitting the ultimate Mahjong, who will not be disturbed by real opponents or game computers. Wow, that one's a gem. <laughs> yep, I've been saving that one for a special occasion. <laughs> I think that qualifies. Game computers, huh? Yeah, mm. them fancy game computers. There's a lot to like there. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, I'm not much for Mahjong, but reading that description kind of makes me want to get it. Not going to lie. Yeah, I think the secret to quality English is sort of being right on the cusp of being real, but then like <laughs> completely throwing out a different word or something. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's just all about roses and chopsticks. I don't know. <laughs> But it's like if it's too messy, it's not funny. But if it's almost there, but it just has like inappropriate word usage, it's the best. <laughs> anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com. You can follow us at PowerProsPod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff. And you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at PowerProsPod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad, Melakaliki Maka, and the man who's climbing down your chimney right now, Sumo Santa, Jingle this all the way. We will see you next time. <laughs>